You're listening to the series, Christ Through the Ages. This is intended to lift our spirits by helping us to fix our eyes on Jesus, if I borrow the wording of Hebrews 3, 1. It's material that I developed in 2013, particularly through the encouragement of a dear friend in Orlando who worked it out for me to be invited to his local church and deliver a series of lessons there on this theme. At first, Christ Through the Ages was just four lessons, but there are far more now, dozens in fact, in the series that you're listening to, and I do want to say thank you for listening. I would like, in this initial podcast, to give you an overview of the series, a few examples of the kinds of things we'll cover, and particularly to explain the title itself. In fact, we'll start there. Christ Through the Ages. In reply to some who might say that Christ is not God, Jesus was born in recent times, just two millennia ago, whereas the world is unspeakably old. Here are some things I would say. And I'd like to read some passages from Isaiah and then passages from Revelation. And we could do this actually with many other sets of scriptures. We'll see that passages referring to the Lord God, that is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, is identified, is equated with the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Isaiah and All of these podcasts have notes that contain, at the very minimum, the major scriptures that are referred to. And so I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 41, 44, and 48. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. And then, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Now, we look at a third passage, but there's no question. These are passages speaking of God, who is the first and the last. And we understand that God is eternal. Listen to me, Jacob, in in our third passage. Listen to me, Israel, whom I have called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth. So you see, it's referring to God here as creator, as sovereign. Well, if God is first and last, how can Jesus be referred to as the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation? And now I'd like to read some passages from chapters 1, 21, and 22 in Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And remember the theme of Revelation. Well, there are actually many themes, but one of the principal themes is that that God is near, Christ is coming, uh, justice will be dispensed, but Christ is coming. It's the God who is, who was, and who is to come. And then we read, he said to me, That is, he speaks to John. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. 
that would make us think right away of John 4 or John 7, where we have living water offered by Jesus. And then in the last scripture, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's remarkable that Jesus is equated with God. Alpha and Omega are the first and final letters of the Greek alphabet. For Hebrew, it would be the Aleph and the Tau. In America, you'd say the A and the Z. In Britain, Australia, (laughs) the A and the Z. It's the first and the last. But wait a minute. That's God in Isaiah. Exactly so. Jesus is Lord. doesn't just mean he represents God in some vague way. It doesn't just mean uh, he's Lord in the sense of sir, curios. He is God in nature, in essence. He's Christ from eternity. In the Gospel of John, we have all the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Or think of the time, and because there are seven major I am statements, but there are other hints in the Gospel of John, like at the very end of chapter 8, uh, 58, where uh, Jesus says that Abraham uh, rejoiced in his day, and they say, how can you, you know, you're not even 50 years old, uh, you've seen our father Abraham, and then Jesus replies, before Abraham was born, I am. If you go back to Exodus three fourteen, you see that is God's name. When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God says, Tell them that I am sent you. And in the Gospel of John, that phrase, I am, appears over and over, referring to God. Scholars have determined that as Christian doctrine was taught by the apostles and and their followers, the most fundamental and primitive doctrines, primitive in the sense of of original, at the the lowest level, the the original base level. The doctrines are Jesus' death and resurrection, but also his deity, that Christ is identified with God. And, And this would make sense in light of the Trinity, that we experience God in a Trinitarian way. And we come to the Father on the basis of what has been done for us by the Son, and we come and experience God through the Spirit. We experience God in a Trinitarian way. Christ is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And he's no less God any any more than the Spirit would be any less God. In essence, in nature, Christ is God from first to last. That means through the ages, from the beginning to the end, the source of history. In fact, he's the creator of the world. But Christ is also the end of history. He is the goal towards which everything flows. I can't resist. Just one other comment on the Trinity. Christians say God is love. You don't hear Muslims saying that, not most of them. Because how could God be love before he had created other beings, uh, the angels, uh, the, the humans? If God is one, undifferentiated, not three persons, uh, in the sense of the Christian God, If God is just all alone, how could he be loved? Because he'd have no one to love. And I don't think we would call someone love who only loved himself. But this is the beauty of the Trinity. God exists in a threefold way. And so from all eternity, God is love because of the love among 
the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so God is love, 1 John 4, makes sense because God is not just a solitary being, though God is one, God is also three. It's a great mystery. Uh, my purpose now is not to, not to do a whole podcast on the Trinity. That's somewhere else. But God is love because there's Father, Son, and Spirit, and Jesus is divine. So Christ is the beginning of history, the fullness of history, and the end of history. And that's why we need the series Christ Through the Ages, which I truly hope will be an inspiration and it will lift our spirits, help us to fix our eyes on him. That is the idea. And uh, thanks to my special friend, Norlando, who who arranged uh, this series to be taught originally, just four lessons. Now it's become dozens of lessons. Okay, let me just say something else about the title, Christ Through the Ages. In the Bible, the ages are not referring primarily to the past and the present, or the past and the future, though, of course, that's obvious. Though we will follow Christ in this series from the beginning of time to the present, and we'll look far into the future, ages are much more than that. For the ancient Jews, there were two primary ages, the present world and the world to come. Christians, of course, also believe in the two ages, but unlike the Jews, uh, Christians believe that the world to come has already, in some sense, dawned. It overlaps the present age. That's why we can pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Though the kingdom has come in the person of Christ, the kingdom is still coming. And this is the real difference between the Jewish expectation, many of whom are still waiting for the Messiah, the Messianic age, and the Christian proclamation that the Messiah has already come and that that age is dawning. Of course, for the Jew, the crucifixion of Christ was a a complete stumbling block, primarily because they latched on to the prophecies about the Messiah as the victor, as as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And they missed the other side. He's the lamb that was slain. And so uh, the cross is difficult to accept. It seems to be a defeat instead of a victory or the means by which God uh, worked uh, redemption for us. At any rate... If this idea is confusing, that the present age has been penetrated by the age to come, the future has broken into the past, uh, the golden, the kingdom of God, that golden era has already begun. If if that's difficult, I would invite you to listen to any lesson uh, on the already but not yet. And if that phrase is strange to you, please listen to my podcast. It's linked in the notes here. But it's a common phrase. Many have spoken on this. Um, It's a great, great thing to get our heads around. And this is the difference between the Jewish expectation, which is that the world to come has not yet come. And when it does, then everything will be fantastic. Of course, the Christians agree with that partly. It's not fully come, but it has begun. And that therefore we can make a a confident uh, proclamation. That day has dawned. The kingdom is here in the person of Jesus. And in due course, the kingdom uh, will be here uh, in the fullest possible sense. Well, Christ through the ages. I hope that that at least gives us uh, some understanding of what we're attempting to look at here. And it's because Christ may be identified with with God. Uh, It's because of Jesus's divinity, because of his uh, deity, his divinity, that we're able to speak of Christ through the ages, through all ages, from the beginning to the end, because he is the Alpha and the Omega. Well, um, what kinds of things will we look at here? We're going to see how 
different parts of the Old Testament speak of Christ? And, and why in the time of Jesus and the apostles, so many Jews were won over by uh, being shown Jesus in these scriptures, their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And we're going to go through uh, different parts of the Old Testament. We'll be looking also at how different books of the New Testament point to Jesus. In the case of the New Testament, we will uh, we'll discuss every single book um, and uh, many lessons there. I mean, I could give you a quick example. In Mark's gospel, who recognizes that uh, Jesus is the king, that the kingdom has come, that you know, the good news um, is here, the, the gospel? Uh, who recognizes Jesus' identity as son of God? Interestingly, the demons recognize this. Think of the exorcisms. At his death, the soldier who presides over the crucifixion, exclaims that surely this man was the son of God. So even the enemy, the Romans, can see it. But who doesn't see it are those who had least excuse to miss it. That is, the leaders of the establishment, those whom Jesus so very much uh, wanted to see uh, change and 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 lead as uh, the spiritual leaders that they should have been. And of course, refer to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, uh, those who had that responsibility. But they don't see it. But it's more than that. Even Jesus' disciples waver tremendously. They see it. They don't see it. They kind of get it. They don't get it. And it's not until after the resurrection that they really understand. And that's beautiful because we relate to that. You know, it's fine to say, well, yeah, the religious leaders didn't get it, but, but we get it. The truth is, when we read Mark's gospel, we're intended. We're intended to identify with those wavering, struggling apostles. Those 12 disciples, we relate to them. I relate to them, don't you? So this is a huge theme. And it's more radical than you would think because in the Roman Empire, and the, and the Romans uh, govern this entire area, um, of the world, in Israel and beyond, from the first century BC on for several centuries. And certainly it appeared that Caesar was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and as we'll see in our lesson on Mark, the emperors, the Caesars, were called God and Savior and Lord. And so for uh, the Christians to proclaim that Jesus is Lord was an implicit rejection of the sovereign claim of the Roman emperor, a very radical and even dangerous confession. And so when we look at Mark, we'll pick up on that theme in in that lesson, and we'll see what the Holy Spirit intends us to learn about Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark. We'll do the same thing with Matthew and, and Luke and Acts together, because Luke-Acts is really a double-volume work. We'll look at John. We'll look at James. We'll look at Romans. The Corinthian letters we'll examine together and so forth because there's so much we need to learn about our Lord and there's very good reason there are so many parts in the New Testament. What other kinds of things we look at? So we'll see how the uh, scriptures point to Christ's identity. We'll see that in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We'll also uh, look at, at church history, how the apostolic message was subtly changed, uh, the reactions after the mid- medieval period, 
the overreactions uh, in the Protestant Reformation, and ultimately today we end up with, with multiple Christs, so many different Christs. And I, I've tried to give, well, it, interestingly, hopefully interesting titles to each of the lessons, and if, if not interesting, at least helpful. But in, in one of the lessons, Christ and Church History, 500 Years of Alternative Christs, we're going to be looking at many different Jesuses who have been preached and who, uh, who are being preached today. And, and with a sense of, of history, uh, we can really fortify ourselves against error and have a sharp review of who uh, the Lord really is. We'll not only learn from uh, church history, well, we're, we're going to look at the way uh, Christ has been understood uh, in other religions, polytheists, the Hindus, monotheists, like uh, the Muslims, just to give you a quick example there, in the lesson where we look at Christ refracted in the world, Christ as understood by the Muslims, the central Christian proclamation is the unforgivable sin of Islam. I'll explain what I mean by that, and I'll develop it more than I can right now, because this is just an intro. But the Muslims would say that to say any person, any human is God, is an unforgivable sin. In fact, that's, that's really the worst sin that you could possibly commit. And so if we're going to pretend that the Muslims and Christians are really, they're really on the same page, they just don't know it, or they worship the same God, uh, you know, they're, they're really brothers, and, you know, what's all the fuss, is to take the claims of neither religion seriously. Because the central claim of Christianity is that God has visited this world in the person of Jesus. That is, the Lord became flesh. The Word became flesh. This is the incarnation. What is uh, repulsive to Islam, what is an unforgivable sin in Islam, is the central teaching of Christianity. I want to help you to think clearly about the unique claims of Christ. We'll be looking at other things, like uh, why most Jews uh, in the first century were too surprised to accept Christ as Messiah. I've alluded to that already, but I, I want to set the record straight. Also, we'll be looking at the... Um, the approaches to the Messiah of the different denominations in the first century. You may say, what? Different denominations? Were there Presbyterians and Baptists and Lutherans in the first century? No, I'm talking about different denominations of Judaism. And this is uh, the sixth podcast, First Century Judaism, Many Flavors of Messiah. Because there are many different Jewish groups, and they all had a different take on what was important and what the Messiah uh, should do. So we'll look at the Zealots, we'll look at the Samaritans, the Scribes, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and, and certainly the Pharisees. I, okay, I'll just give you one small example here. The Essenes were those Jews who said the temple establishment is hopelessly corrupt. Uh, most of them just left. Uh, they went into the desert. Some stayed near Jerusalem, but the most famous uh, went to a place called Qumran, which is near the Dead Sea. They started a monastery. They, there's evidence that they had their own idea of the Messiah, and they certainly uh, thought that the temple and the high priest there, who was a wicked priest, uh, the whole temple system was a perversion of justice. And so they're quite fascinating because the Essenes gave up on the system. There are other Jewish groups that remained within the system and worked for reform but in many different ways. But the Essenes gave up completely. Well, this, is, this is very meaningful because how do we react when we're disappointed by our faith or by our leaders? We could react the way 
the scribes did or the Samaritans or the Sadducees, any of the group, but the Essenes, the ones who reject the establishment, start their own thing, uh, and basically uh, give up. Uh, Jesus at least tried to cleanse the temple. He called the leaders to to be sensible. The Essenes thought it was a completely failed, uh, pointless task. So we're going to look at different flavors of the Messiah, what they're expecting. And we'll actually learn that the, the Essenes actually uh, expected two Messiahs. Okay, So there are all kinds of things we're going to look at in this series, Christ of the Ages. We're going to look at how the Old Testament points to Christ, how the New Testament points to him, what the apostles taught uh, what what the competing Jewish groups were teaching and, and why there was the difference there, how each, um, uh, well, really each era of church history teaches us something about Jesus. And there's so much to learn, how Christ has been refracted in the world, understood or misunderstood and uh, by different religions. And the, the, last, we'll, the last lesson we'll look at uh, in the main series is what the atheists are missing. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. I certainly am. At the end, I'll encourage you to listen to 10 lessons on worship. So the intention is to put together 40 days of Bible study to lift our spirits. And hopefully this will help you, whether you're using this material at the start of the new year or or perhaps it's later on. You really want to get on track and be close to the Lord. I hope that makes sense. And I hope that you'll stay with me as we examine this lofty theme, Christ through the ages.